Hi. Oh, God, that's loud. <laughs> I might not talk as loud. Um, I'm Michelle. I'm a senior executive designer at ThinkPlace. Um, I'm going to do it a little bit differently today. I'm just going to share my story and my experience in leadership um, and how I got to where I am right, right now. So the first time I was in a leadership role was about seven years ago. Um, I was in another industry, and I'd been in managerial roles, but not really understanding what it meant to be a leader. And my boss at the time moved me into a role, and she said, hey, Michelle, we need you to work on the people. And I was like, what do you mean? I don't understand. Give me some context. Um, and I came to realize after a few weeks that you know, the culture in this team wasn't healthy. There was a few different cliques. They weren't really engaged, and they didn't really work well with other teams either. And they were just kind of doing their own thing. And I was younger, I was naive, and I was like, I know it's going to fix this. I'm like, this team needs better processes, they need some structure. And I dove in solution first. So it's probably not going to come as a surprise that this didn't work. I failed. <laughs> um, it created additional tension in the team. You know, the team was so frustrated with me, and I was really frustrated with myself as well. And it was really challenging but I knew that I had to challenge my own approach throughout that as well. And so I was really, really fortunate that my boss at the time was also my mentor. And she would sit on the phone with me for hours sometimes and we would just talk about leadership. And I read so many books. <laughs> I went down so many YouTube rabbit holes and I just wanted to gather as much data as possible. And there was a lot of what I call growing pains throughout this. You know, there were a couple of people that left that team in that process. And I also had to come to realize at that time that it was really hard to accept, because I was like, you know, it's my fault, they've left. But I also realized the importance of cultural fit in that time, and that sometimes people do leave during these cultural shifts, and you just have to accept it and sometimes just think forward. And I had to develop better self-awareness. <laughs> you know, I had to take the time to get to know myself better, and I had to make sure that I took care of myself in order to be able to support my team going forward. And it's kind of like that saying, you can't pour from an empty cup. And we did get to a stage where the team started to operate like an actual team, and we weren't just like a group of individuals who were working together. But how we got there, so I started by sitting with each person in the team individually, and I took the time to get to know each person. And I took the time to understand, you know, what do they want to learn, what's their learning style? And I took the time to go, you know, what motivates you, but also what makes you feel uncomfortable? And also, what do you need from me to succeed? And it was when I shifted my approach from, you know, what I need you all to do to what do you need from me and how can I support you? And that's when things really started to change. And the change didn't happen overnight. You know, it took time. But we began to really function like a team. And, you know, people enjoyed coming to work. They began to be so excited about their own goals and their own growth. And they began to support each other, and they began to trust each other, and they began to trust that I was acting with their best interest at heart as well. And the reason I tell this story is because it really shaped how I led teams going forward. I had to really recognize the importance of my role and recognize my role in being of service to them. And it wasn't about trying to achieve any business results. It was really trying to create a sense of community in the teams. And what I learned was when I prioritized this, it really helped to build a stronger team. 
It built a team that trusted each other and it built a team that, you know, it helped to drive engagement and improve overall performance. And, you know, it's still our responsibility to set strategic visions, but it's still up to us to give that framework for the teams to thrive in. When we encourage ownership, it really builds self-confidence in our team members and it helps with their decision-making abilities and it helps with their collaboration skills and it really helps to drive innovation as well. You know, I believe a lot of team cultures are built from the top down, but sustaining it is really everyone's responsibility. It's a shared vision across like an organization. And I believe empowerment when it's coming from the bottom up and when people are really empowered to make decisions, that's where innovation lies. And I'm sure we've all probably experienced some time in our careers where we've been in a workplace where the culture wasn't healthy. You know, at ThinkPlace, sometimes we go help and we help organizations try to diagnose the behavior in their organizations and we help leaders develop toolkits or just understand what they need to try and shift the culture and shift the behavior. There's no one right approach to leadership. It really comes down to what works best for you and your team. It's applying our design thinking mindset to how we lead our teams. But how do we design for that individual and the team as well? When we're creating this space for our teams to thrive, there are so many considerations. The individual. You know, yes, the team is greater than the sum of its parts, but we still need to understand every single one of those parts. We still need to consider the experience for every single person in our teams. The team. It goes without saying, you know, I'm discussing teams today. But, you know, how do we design for the individual and for the team that they belong to? The organisation. You know, how do we align with organisational goals and values for longevity? And finally, the next one, it's not going to apply to everyone, but in my last role I was working in government, and so for anyone who's in government, this is for you. There is another layer of complexity when you are working in the public sector and you have an additional set of considerations that impacts the environment that your team <laughs> operates in and I think it's really key to acknowledge that. And so when I've thought about my experience and seeing teams really thrive, there's one thing that I believe is key to the foundation, psychological safety. It's about creating a space that encourages vulnerability and really embraces diversity of thought. It's allowing our teams to be creative and it's allowing our teams to try something different without the fear of getting in trouble. It's giving people the permission to be human. You know, when we feel safe with the people that we work with, it really builds trust. And what I've seen with teams that support each other, they genuinely protect each other and they look out for each other's well-being. One thing I always like to do is when somebody joins my team, you know, I always like to check in at a regular basis. You know, how are you? How are you settling in? How do you like the work, the team? Is it what you expected? And you know, as leaders, we can talk about culture all day, but culture is about the behaviors and attitudes of people, so it's so important that we connect with them to really understand how, what they're actually feeling. And one of my previous teams used to work on some fairly challenging projects. I always had to be mindful of things that would be harmful to their psychological safety. And those are things like toxic positivity. And I'm an optimist, I don't deny that, you know, but I still believe you can be optimistic whilst acknowledging the reality of a tough situation. And it kind of leads me to my next point. Keep it real. You know, sometimes situations we're in are challenging. For about two and a half years, I worked on disaster response and economic recovery programs in government. It started with the 2019-2020 bushfires, COVID, 
floods, there was a mouse plague, we went into another lockdown. <laughs> um, it was intense. So many teams in that organisation worked so many hours throughout it all. I'm pretty sure there was one point where I forgot like how many days I worked straight. But what I learned throughout all of this was the importance of being honest in these situations. Toxic positivity can do so much harm to the psychological safety in our teams. And as we delivered a lot of these programs, you know, we were facing so many unknowns. We also had to balance that with really, really challenging timeframes. And there were times where we just got really frustrated. And sometimes we just had to acknowledge the situation sucked. But we always made a space for the team to express their feelings, for them to be honest. We didn't try to dwell on it too much, but we gave them the opportunity to express it. And we, together as a team, worked what we would do going forward together. Aside from retros, one-on-ones, Sometimes we did pulse checks, and sometimes these pulse checks were really simple. Sometimes it was as simple as a happy, sad scale, and it looked like this. You know, some, we gave people the opportunity to do it on a mirror board, and they would just pop on the scale where they felt, and we'd open it up for a discussion after. It was simple, but it was so powerful because you got to gauge what everyone was feeling. It was about fostering an environment where people feel safe and where people know that their well-being matters. And through all of this, what it also did is it helped to build collective resilience. When we foster empathy, understand each other, and have those shared experiences, it really built the team connections. And when you have these foundations and bonds as a team, you know, the team really look to protect and help each other. The people in your team, they feel comfortable just to be their authentic selves at work. And one of the most important things that helps to build teams, and this is probably my personal favorite, have fun, like, <laughs> you know, we spend so much time with the people that we work with every day. I'm a firm believer, laughter is medicine. I will normally try to make a joke out of anything and I kind of get in trouble sometimes. But you know, make the time for activities for your team to bond. Sometimes it could be just playing games online, just something that allows them to connect. I remember one Friday afternoon, I blocked out a couple of hours in my team's calendar for just team activity time. We started at like 3 p.m. Somebody suggested some game for us to play. It got to four and I was like, hey guys, like it's been a big week, just log off early. No one left. <laughs> Some people even went to go pick up their kids and they came back and logged back online. They were so invested in the game, they stayed till after five just because they were having so much fun together. But it could also be as simple as like organizing regular team lunches. Make the time to connect because it's more than just what you're doing at work, it's who you're doing it with that contributes to engagement and well-being. And to some, Work is simply a job, but to many more, it's a lifeline to social interaction, purpose, and a place of belonging. And what I found throughout my career is that when situations are challenging, it always helps to remember the why. And I'm sure many of you have seen Simon Sinek's Golden Circle Theory, Start With Why. If you haven't, I strongly recommend it. Individuals that know and understand why they're doing their work, they have a stronger sense of ownership and alignment to the purpose but it also served as a reminder of how important it is to take care of ourselves. Our personal well-being has an impact on our interpersonal well-being, and it impacts how we connect with the people around us. Prioritizing personal well-being looks different for everyone. You know, for me, I get up really early in the morning, I go for a run, it helps me clean my head, it psychs me up for the day. But like, what does that look like for you? You know, how do you recharge? What makes you happy? And I encourage you to have these conversations with your team. It truly does have a ripple effect on team dynamics. High-performing teams aren't created overnight. You know, it's a sustained effort from a group of people who trust each other and who want to succeed together. 
and there will 100% be several bumps along the way. And I always think of Bruce Tuckman's group dynamics model, form, storm, norm, perform, and adjourn. The last one kind of annoys me that it doesn't rhyme, but <laughs> phase one is forming. This is when the group of people, they get together, you know, they start getting to know each other. It could be uncomfortable, it probably is, but this is when expectations of the bigger picture are set. Phase two is storming. As you get to know each other, you begin to realize that there will be a difference of opinions. And sometimes in this phase, there could also be a bit of resistance or a lack of participation. And this is when you have to push through the discomfort. And next, norming. This is when it really starts to feel like a team. This is when the team are clear on the why. This is when the team are clear on the purpose. And this is when the team are engaged and supportive with each other. And there's that real sense of cohesion. And phase four is performing. As the trust builds within the team, we start to really see that balance between interdependence and self-management. And their effectiveness as a team goes up. But it does take time. And the final phase, which doesn't apply to all, but it's a journey. And this could look like changes in a team, like a restructure. And this is what I experienced in my last role. So when I stepped into my last role, I had about 30 people in my team. It was a product team. It was a multidisciplinary one. And I remember talking with my boss at the time about what the plans for the team would be. There was a question about whether or not we should split the team into two. And I thought about it, but I said, no, not yet. And it was something I really didn't want to rush. I had to measure the impact to my team if we split. I knew the team wasn't ready and there wasn't a clear strategy and I just felt like it was going to cause disruption and not in a good way. I knew we eventually needed to split, but I said, give me time to put together a better strategy around this. I said I wanted to wait six months and I carefully planned the structure of the future teams. And these sorts of changes are things we need to avoid rushing. We see so many organizations let people go when they grow too fast because they haven't thought about growth more sustainably. So over the course of six months, you know, I started to recruit a few more people, knowing that we needed to scale two teams in like the second half of the year. I also had to really consider what each person in the team wanted to do. Did they have a preference of a team? And I tried my best to cater to that as well. I also knew that when we restructured, somebody else had to lead the other team, and we had to be mindful about who was going into that role. And I was also a bit protective because they were my team and I didn't want just anyone. <laughs> but it took time. And after the six months, we found someone else to lead the other team. And we probably spent another two months together as one massive team until we slowly started to separate because there was like 40 people and we tried to stand up with that many people one time. It was insane. <laughs> after the restructure in the new team, I think I had about 15 people to start with. And it was really, really exciting. You know, even though we'd all worked together before, I wanted to make sure we got together and established new ways of working. And we started with a retro, and we used the start, stop, more, less framework. And I'm sure many of you have all seen this before, but I really love this framework for retros, and it looks a little like this. You know, what should we start doing? What should we stop doing? What should we do more of, and what should we do less of? And I really wanted the team to start fresh because we had a different strategy and we were going to be scaling and recruiting a lot more people going forward. And I wanted there to be as much transparency throughout it as well. And in about the span of a few months, we doubled in size. And as we recruited, I had to be so mindful of who we recruited in the team. And this is scaling, you know, it's understanding the system in order to achieve sustainable growth. You know, it's not enough for us to design for the individual, the team. We need to align with organizational goals too. The system the team operates in is so important. 
and it looks different for every team. And you kind of think of it like when you apply agile ways of working as well. You know, I'm a believer in being agile, not doing agile. It's not black and white. You're guided by a set of principles, and there's tools and ceremonies that can support the application of the principles. And sometimes it starts with making tiny changes. You know, it could look like testing different meeting cadences with your team and figuring out what works best. It could be giving someone additional responsibility before you move. It could be creating virtual coffee bricks just for people to socialize and get together. But it's also vital to give people time to adjust through all this. You know, everyone's in a different situation. Everyone adapts differently. We've got to gauge the level of attention that each team member requires. And we also need to measure the impact as we grow. When we release a product, when we release a feature, we go through such rigorous change management processes. It's so important when we make changes to our teams that we measure the impact to our people. You know, how does the change impact their psychological safety? How do we handle situations like when someone in a team leaves? How do we support teams when there's a restructure? How do we support them when there's leadership changes? It's so important for us to be intentional throughout all this. As designers, you know, we're so intentional with the products, the services, the systems we built. We've got to apply this mindset with how we lead our teams as well. And, you know, as we adapt to hybrid ways of working, we're seeing the value of being intentional about how we connect physically. You know, and I think Play Sydney Studio, we make sure every Wednesday and Friday that we're always in the office. It gives us a dedica dedicated time to connect, and, you know, we meet together, have a team meeting on a Friday afternoon, and it's just, you know, it's nice, because we make sure that we're going to meet together and not just be on meetings remotely. <laughs> but I also think about being intentional when it comes to recruitment, which we've been talking all about a lot today, which is great. And, you know, I'm sure many of us in this room have encountered a situation where somebody thinks that maybe throwing more people at a problem is going to solve it. And hiring someone just because of the lack of capacity isn't worth the impact to the team in the long run. That one extra person that doesn't fit culturally isn't worth the impact to your team's psychological safety. I knew I had to be really intentional when it came to the recruitment of people in my team, given the size of the team as well. You know, did they fit culturally? You know, were they adaptable? Did they have a growth mindset? Are they coachable? And it was challenging, especially in the current recruitment climate, which I'm sure, you know, we've all been talking about today. But you also can be intentional with your teams. You know, how do you onboard people? How do you train people? How do you coach people? And what I've learned throughout my career was to lead like a coach. You know, coaching is about supporting others to be the best they can be. Coaching is about mentorship. Coaching is about teaching people and helping them to grow. It's creating a learning environment. It's coaching in the moment. You know, it's about asking and listening and not just telling people what to do. And I personally also love being coached. You know, I met with one of our Think Place coaches just two days ago just to prepare me for this because I was so nervous. <laughs> in one of my previous roles, I had a team member that applied for a more senior position. Unfortunately, the interview didn't go well and they didn't get the role. You know, they felt a bit disappointed, defeated, a little bit discouraged. I knew what they had achieved and I knew what they were capable of, but sometimes we don't put our best foot forward in interviews. And it was so important for me in that situation to support them. It was so important for me to also not to try to solve the world for them, but to give them the opportunity to decide what they wanted to do next. You know, sometimes it's laying out options for them, asking questions. How do we do this together? How can I support you to reach your goal? And they received pretty constructive feedback from the interview. You know, we took the time to dissect it together. 
we took the time to understand what the areas of improvement were, and we developed a really clear plan with actions and goals going forward. And it was so incredible and inspiring to see this person progress over the following months. You know, to see how committed they were to achieving their goals and to see how their confidence increased. And, you know, they reapplied for the position several months later and they were successful and that was amazing. But, you know, sometimes the, your team members just need someone to be a mirror. Sometimes they just need someone to remind them of what they've achieved. Sometimes they need someone to be so intentional about how they're supported and how they're coached and how they're empowered to take a chance and to take risks. Personal development enables high performance and engagement. Prioritize finding the opportunities for your people to grow. Ask questions and find out what motivates each person in your team. You know, are they happy in their current role? Are they enjoying their current project? Are they interested in progressing? Sometimes people aren't and that's okay as well, but we still need to find out what keeps them engaged if it's not growth. Are they looking for a lateral move? What excites them? It's so important we check in with our teams to see how they're doing and to help them develop the skills they need to grow, even if that could also mean you know, they move on somewhere else. When I have development conversations, you know, I always ask them to think about their goals, even if it's outside the context of the organization. Obviously within what's reasonable. <laughs> um, the University of New South Wales did an interesting study where they surveyed over 5,000 people across 77 organizations and they found the single greatest influence on profitability and productivity within an organization is the ability of leaders to spend more time and effort developing and recognizing their people, welcoming feedback, including criticism, and fostering cooperation amongst staff. I love this. You know, I learned the importance of developing a culture of recognition, celebrating the wins, big and small, you know, if you release a new feature, celebrate. Like, if you, someone moves into a new role, celebrate it. If someone handled a really challenging meeting well, celebrate it. Like, if somebody just pushed themselves out of their comfort zone, like, why wouldn't you celebrate that? And I'm not saying throw a party for every single achievement, but simply recognizing the effort is so powerful. It look, could also look as simple as just genuinely thanking your teams at the end of the day. There's a really great book called Essentialism by Greg McEwen, and he says, there are two primary motivators for people, achievement and recognition of achievement. And of all forms of human motivation, the most effective is progress. And it also comes back to what I was saying a bit earlier about really getting to know the people in our teams. Know your team well enough to know how to challenge them. Ask questions. We're designers. We spend every day trying to understand people's needs. It's so important we do this with our teams as well. It's how we set them up for success. It also ensures that we challenge them to an extent that still feels safe. Pushing them too far could really impact the trust that you've built with them. When we learn the strengths and weaknesses of our teams, the knowledge is so powerful. It's vital when you're scaling. You learn what the team needs strategically for success in the long term. It also helps to make every team member feel valued. And when people feel valued, they're more likely to contribute for themselves and for the team. They recognize the importance of each role that each person plays and they recognize that the team is greater than the sum of its parts, and they really support each other. And for many people, you know, given the choice between a supportive work environment and a greater salary, they would likely choose the former. And there's a really great article in the Harvard Business Review about empowering people, and it says, empowered employees are more likely to be powerful, confident individuals who are committed to meaningful goals and demonstrate initiative and creativity to achieve them. They typically have the freedom to generate novel ideas and the confidence that these ideas will be valued. But how can we do this? By creating a safe to fail environment. 
we're human, no one's perfect, we're going to make mistakes, I've made plenty, and I know I will continue to do so. But I want you to think about how you respond when somebody in your team makes a mistake. How do you handle the situation? You know, with agile ways of working, the concept of fail fast, fail often is used. But what it really means is it's about iteration. What are you going to do differently next time for a better outcome? And what I learned when it came to failure, embrace it. There's always a lesson in it, and it aids accountability and ownership. It comes back to psychological safety and creating an environment where people feel comfortable to take ownerships, to make decisions, and to accept the risks and challenges that come with certain responsibilities. It's also key to reflect on the failure, maybe a retro. Try to understand what happened so you can inform the next step. And take the time to understand, you know, is there anything that you could have done better to support them? And help them find the best way forward. They might already know what to do differently, but let them know that you're there if they need anything. Because when innovation and creative thinking are embedded in a team's culture, a space is created where people feel confident navigating ambiguity and comfortable taking risks. And high-performing teams understand the importance of valuing and hearing each other's opinions. High-performing teams understand the importance of creating a comfortable work environment. The foundation for innovation and creative thinking in the workplace is psychological safety. This is how it shows up daily. And this is what it looks like when you empower your individuals. And at the end of the day, you can't build a product without people. Like, you can't build a service without people. Nothing's possible without our teams. And if there's three key things I'd love for you to take away from this. People of a process, don't do what I initially did. Be intentional. You know, as designers, this is already ingrained in how we work. And three, psychologically safe environments for our teams is what truly fosters engagement and enables teams to thrive together. In order for us leaders to get the best out of our people, we've really got to make them feel safe. We've got to empower them. And we've really got to protect and support them. And there's no one right approach to this. You know, it comes down to what works best for you and your team. The way we work will always continue to change, and we've seen this shifts in the mass, like in the last couple of years. So thank you for taking the time to listen to me today. I'm really grateful for this.